really glad to be here tonight, and I feel terrific. I enjoyed that music before the meeting. It was great, and uh, and I like it here. And uh, I'm feeling great already, and I haven't even heard myself yet. <laughs> I used to drink a lot. I start out with, I, I wanted to throw that in. This is, I might get carried away and not mention that. You know, my, uh, my story is really a very boring story. I, I, uh, you hear such exciting things sometimes from these podiums. My God, some of these guys get up here and they talk about stuff that's really great. Like, I heard a guy, you know, he went into a bar, he punched everybody out in a bar, and the cops came and he punched the cops out. And they get drug off to jail, and they threw him in a cell, he walked over to the bunk he wanted, and pulled the guy out of the bunk, and punched him out too. And, yeah. Now that's drinking, that's exciting drinking. And I, I, I heard a guy, uh, a jet pilot talk, and, uh, and he had been on a three-week binge, and he woke up out of a blackout going faster than the speed of sound. And, you know, now that is drinking, that's exciting drinking. Now, all I ever did is just sat around and drank. <laughs> yeah, I meant to do a lot of that stuff. I just never got around to it. <laughs> you know, you, you, you hear all this exciting stuff, you know. You know, I, had I known I was going to be here, I would have tried to do something. <laughs> All I did is sit around and drank, and I, uh, I used to watch a lot of TV, <laughs> play old phonograph records, and sometimes I'd read a book, nothing very heavy, just some condensed version in the Reader's Digest. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. If anybody would have asked me, what's your problem, Hank, I would have said, uh, you know, I wouldn't have said drinking, I would have said money. Money's my problem. If I just had a little more money, I don't know how I got involved in that work I do. It just don't pay enough. Now. Only she would go to work and help out. But no, instead, turns out she was pregnant. <laughs> and so I didn't start saving for that baby until about a week before it was due. <laughs> and I couldn't come up with the money to pay the doctor and hospital bill, so I went to the beneficial finance company and borrowed the money. And when my son turned 25 and I finally got sober on the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I finally got beneficial finance paid off. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I always had an, uh, a crisis in my life. And I'd just about get those guys paid off and something would happen and I would have to consolidate all my bills again. And, and, uh, and I'd go there and I'd borrow the money and, and uh, you know, I never got enough to pay them all off. And, and something would happen to part of that money on the way home. And uh, I'd get home and try to pay off these bills. It was just not enough, so then I'd have to go to the Pacific Finance and the company and borrow a little more. And sometimes I'd go to the bank and borrow some there, too. And sometimes I'd have all three going at the same time. And uh, income tax time would come around, and I'd start figuring out the interest that I'd paid. It was pretty good, you know, at that time of the year to pay all that interest out. But I, I used to stop and think, you know, what in hell am I making all these payments on? I'm not buying anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm just making payments. That's all. And I finally figured it out. After I was sober a couple of years, I finally figured it out. You know, what I did is I financed 30 years of drinking. Every time I took a drink, I paid an extra 10 or 15 cents in interest to beneficial finance. And that's one of the freedoms I got now. I don't have to do that and uh but to cause excitement every once in a while my wife would kick me out of the house it seemed like she'd come home and find me intoxicated and for some reason that would irritate her and so she'd kick me out never occurred to me to say wait a minute you can't kick me out i belong here you know i'm making the payments on this place you know but no i was so unworthy back in those days that she said leave i just left that's all yeah. I never moved very far from home, just down the street, and I worked my way back in. I was in and out, back and forth, and she divorced me three times, 
And the last time she divorced me, I figured, okay, this is it. You want a divorce? You got it. You can have the house. You can have the furniture. You can have everything. All I want is my stack of old 78 bricks. And uh, I bought a... I moved into this little place in Hermosa Beach, California. It was a little garage, actually, that they had converted some living quarters and made some living quarters in it. And, uh, and it was a room about all oh, 12 by 15. And... uh I bought a turntable and ten speakers from a friend of mine. <laughs> and I, I had speakers in all four corners, behind the drapes, behind the couch, in the bathroom, in the kitchen. You name it, I had a speaker there. And uh, a typical day back in those days was I'd wake up at 10 o'clock, and I'm already an hour late to work. Jeez, I'd throw on my clothes real fast and get in that car, you know, I had to make it to the office, I had to beat the boss there, because, you know, I should have worked yesterday, and I left all these papers all over everywhere, and, and, you know, if I didn't beat him there, he'd find those, and if, God forbid, if he looked in my desk drawer, he'd find papers in there, some of them were months old, they were too old to turn in, if I, if I turned them in, I'd be fired for holding them so long, and if I didn't turn them in, I was going to be fired, I knew it was all going to happen today. And I had that feeling of impending doom that you hear so much about in AA. And, uh, and I'd get to the office and check my desk out first thing. Saved again. Everything's the same as yesterday. I'd go get a cup of coffee, go back to my desk, shuffle papers and try to look interested. Make excuses to my customers. I'm a good excuse maker too. And they'd want to know where their stuff was. And, I, and I'd say, you mean you didn't get that in the mail? I'll, I'll personally take care of that myself today, you know. The class of people we have to hire nowadays, you know, they just don't understand the word service. I'll personally take care of that, you know. Or I'd use the computer excuse. That, that's a good one. They're still using the computer excuse today. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the originators of the computer excuse. Hell, I used that excuse before we even had a computer in our office. Computer's been down for the last four days, and as soon as it gets working, we'll get a printout, and we'll get all these, we'll get this straightened out. And if you don't hear from us in, within a week, call me back. Let's get this thing taken care of. And uh, at a respectable time, I would go to the bar that was conveniently located right next door to where I worked, and they sold martinis over there. And I like martinis. And they sold double martinis for a dollar during the lunch hour. The regular martinis were 75 cents. I figured, hell, you know, you're going to have two anyhow. Whoever heard of having one martini? You're going to have two anyhow, so you might as well order the dollar one, and you'll save 50 cents. <laughs> God knows you need the money back. <laughs> and I'd order the dollar one, and I'd just be sipping on that, and I'd kind of check my drink against the guy sitting next to me, and he'd have a 75 cent on it. And I'd kind of check, you know lined it up against his and I'd look and I'd say, you know, I don't know who the hell is kidding around here. This is really not a double. It's a little larger than the 75 cent one, that's all. And if it was a really a double, they'd be charging more money for it. You know, I don't know who they think they're dealing with, but I know better than that. So I'd better have another one. And then I'd have another one, then I'd have another one, then I'd have another one. And then I'd call the office and tell them, I forgot to tell you, I'm going on a lot of calls, take messages. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And I'd head towards the beach. And uh, I'd stop and buy the cheapest bottle of vodka I could find. Whatever was on sale that day, you know, in that wicker basket, all dusty, the, you know. Whatever was on sale that day, that's what I bought. And I'd get home about 2 or 2.30 in the afternoon. And I'm kind of a neat drunk. I'd hang up my clothes real carefully so the creases fall properly. And I uh, put my shoes and shirt away and all that. Put my pajamas on. And I'd sit on the edge of the bed, you know. And uh, I'd untap this cheap vodka. And I'd take a big, big jolt out of it. You know, several swallows. And, and I'd say to myself, well, done it again today. This cannot continue. You know, you're not the only guy that's ever been divorced. You're not the only guy that's ever been in debt. Why the hell don't you do something about it? All you do is sit around and talk about stuff, but you never take any action on anything. Then I'd put one of these old 78 records on the turntable. 
something like Billy Eckstein singing, Who Can I Turn To? <laughs> And then I'd go into my fantasy, you know, and I'd start talking to myself. Well, at least you could get a second job, anyhow. You, know, you can't do anything about your marriage, but at least you could get a second job to get out of debt. And then I'd say, wait a minute, you don't need to get a second job, you're in sales. If you're in sales, you can make any amount of money you wanted, you know, within reason, of course. And that's right, my God. Starting tomorrow morning, it's all going to be different. Starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock. I'm going to get down to that damn office by 7. I'm going to knock out paperwork for a couple hours. When that phone starts ringing tomorrow, I'm going to be ready to do business. And, uh, geez, I just, I'm excited to make decisions like that. And I had another drink on that one, you know. And then I get to thinking, you know, if you, you know, if you do that, you know, you'll, you can just, I'm going to spend the, the rest of this year just working. I'm going to spend all my waking hours earning money. Monday through Friday, it's sell, sell, sell. Saturday, I can go in the office and I can clean up all the paperwork, you know, and I, hell, I got to pew the place and go in there on Sunday. And, uh, you know, if you're in sales, if you plan your work and then work your plan, you can't miss. And, oh man, I felt great, you know. When I make these big decisions like this, I just feel terrific, so I have another drink. And uh, then, I, then I say to myself, you know, if you triple your income, you're going to be out of debt in no time. Then what are you going to do with all the money coming in? Well, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a white Lincoln Continental car. And I'm going to drive up to that house where she still lives. And on the way up there, I'll stop at the at the uh, card shop and I'll buy a beautiful card. No 25 cents, at least a dollar card. You know? <laughs> Something with a lot of beautiful poetry on it, sentimental kind. And then I'll write over on the left-hand side, thanks for all the good years, H. <laughs> Not Henry or Hank, just H. Then I'll get a, I'll get a gold-plated key and I'll put that in with the card in the envelope and I'll drive that white Lincoln Continental up in front of the house, you know, and I'll kind of coast in it you know, real quietly and park it right in front of the house. And then I'll tiptoe up on the steps and I'll put that card down the mail sheet. Then I'll split. The next morning, she'll get up and go through her routine. And she'll get her mail. And she'll look at the envelope. Naturally, she's going to open the big envelope first. And uh, the key will drop out. I wonder what that key is. And then she'll read this, this poetry. The sticky sentimental time. The tears will just roll down her cheeks. It'll just be excruciatingly painful for her to read that. And then she'll look over on the left hand side and she'll see thanks for all the good years, H. And then she'll look at that gold plated key and she'll try to figure out what that is. Somehow she'll look out in front of the house and she'll see this beautiful car out there, brand new, shiny, and she'll put it all together that that's her automobile. Then she won't think I'm so bad. Then she'll be sorry by God. And I don't know about you people, but I'll pay big money to make them feel like that. And I always feel terrific after I give those big gifts like that. So I have another drink. <laughs> and I look up at the clock, and it's 10 minutes to 11. Jeez, it can't be 10 minutes to 11. I just sat down here, and, uh, and I'd call the time. Yep, it's 10 minutes to 11. Then I'd realize I'm almost out of booze. Wow. And I'd throw my clothes on over my pajamas, and I'd run two blocks to the liquor store. I had to get there before they closed. That's when I first started jogging about that time. I had a, I had a make it there. You know. I'd get there and bottle of Smirnoff. I'd get the guy just as he was closing up. I always bought the better brands there right around where I lived. You know. I, I wouldn't want him to think I was cheap right there in the neighborhood. And uh, then I could stroll back to my shack with peace and comfort and security for the rest of the night. And then I'd play a few more of those old records. I'd start rehearsing the speech I was going to have to give. 
because I knew I was going to be salesman of the year. And somewhere in there, I'd pass out. And I'd wake up the next morning, it'd be 10 o'clock, and I'm already an hour late to work. Throw my clothes out and get in that car and weave in and out of traffic. I had to get there before the boss did. If I didn't, why, you know, if he checked that desk out, he'd find all these papers. And, and uh, I'd check my, I'd get there and check my paper to see that de- my desk, everything's the same as yesterday. Saved again. I'd go get a cup of coffee. Go back to my desk. Sit there and shuffle papers and try to make, try to look interested. And make excuses to my customers. At a respectable time, I'd go to the bar that was conveniently located right next door to where I was. And I'd go over there and make my big decision of the day, whether I have the dollar one or the 75 cents. And then I'd have another one, then I'd have another one, then I'd have another one. And then I'd call the office. I could have just shouted across there, but I'll, I always called them on the phone because I'm kind of class guy, you know. And, uh, and I'd, uh, Tell him, I forgot to tell you, I'm going a lot of calls, take messages. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And I'd head towards the beach and stop and buy the cheapest bottle of ice I could find. I'd get home and put my pajamas on and sit on the edge of the bed and untap this cheap vodka and take a big, big jolt out of it, you know, several swallows. And, and I'd say to myself, well, done it again today. <laughs> this cannot continue. You know, you're not the only guy that's ever been divorced. You're not the only guy that's ever been in jail. Why the hell don't you do something about it? All you do is sit around and talk about stuff. You never take any action on anything. Then I said, well, you know, then I'd start talking. And I'd put one of these old records on. Something like Billy Eckstein singing, Who Can I Turn To? And then I'd get to talking to myself. Scolding myself. At least you could get a second job, eh? Uh, you wait a minute. You don't need to get a second job. You're in sales. And, oh, that's right. And, uh, yeah. Starting tomorrow morning, it's all going to be there. Starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock. I'm going to get down to that office by 7. I'm going to knock out paperwork for a couple of hours. And when that phone starts ringing tomorrow, I'm going to be ready to do business. And starting tomorrow, it's all going to be different. And for the rest of this year, I'm gonna work, work, work. I'm not even, I'm not even gonna drink the rest of this year. Maybe I'll go to a New Year's Eve party and have a couple of drinks. But this is the year I play catch up and get squared away. You know, I didn't do that once or twice. I did that hundreds of times. Towards the end of the month, the boss would want to know, are you in sales here? And, <laughs> And I'd say, sure, I, yeah, I'm in sales here. Well, how about making a sale? I'd say, don't worry about a thing. I'm a fast finisher. And I was, because he'd, he'd scare me. And I don't know about you people, but fear motivates me. I was afraid I was going to lose my job, so I'd work around the clock, practically. And uh, and I always made my quota in this company I worked for. At the end of the year, if you made your quota, they'd give you a plaque with their name on it. A big plaque. Hank Johnson, outstanding salesmanship and product knowledge and being the type of representative we want to represent this company and all that good stuff all over the plaque. For eight drunken years in a row, I won a plaque every year. And then I got sober. I didn't win a plaque for eight years. (laughs) I lost my motivation. Fear motivated me. And I wasn't afraid anymore. You know, I... Once I finally got on the program, I got the message. And the message is that God's going to take care of it. I thought that many was going to go down to the office and do my work for me, too. But I didn't quite understand. I didn't get it quite right. It's just, you know. And, uh, in fact, uh, I used to spend about 90% of my time down at the office. I used to get there on time after I got sober, you know. But I'd spend about 90% of my time calling other members of AA. And, uh, you know, I might not be sober today if I hadn't done it that way, perhaps. But uh, all I know is that after two years of sobriety, I walked in that office one day and the guy said, you're fired. Fired? She's got to be kidding. I got an outstanding sales record with this company. Not late. Oh, well, I can't let you fire me. That's out, you know, out of the question. And I went to see my regional manager 
I used to say that I to go there, I, that I went to, to see the regional manager and talk with him. Actually, what I did is I sniveled and cried to him. And you know what they want, want to do down there at the branch office? They want to fire me. Can you believe that? And with my outstanding record? But what they really don't know, that about two years ago, I completely changed my life. I stopped drinking. I'm trying to make it with my wife again and the kids. And I'm trying to pay off my bills on time. Become a citizen in the community again. Help poor, unfortunate people such as I recover from a seemingly hopeless disease of alcoholism. And now they want to fire me. And he said, Chief Hank, I, I had no idea you had a drinking problem. He said, I sure hope everything worked out for you, you know, and you and your wife and everything. And, and he says, but I can't interfere with what goes on at the branch office. They don't want you to work there. I can't, I can't tell them that they've got to keep you. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do, though. I'll put you on a paid leave of absence for a very short period of time. You claim to be a salesman, go sell yourself to another branch office. You got eight. And that's what I did. And by the way, I'm still with that company. Until December the 1st, and then they can take it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. They really didn't get to me. But I'll have my 25 years in, drunk and sober. And, and so uh, I did. I went and sold myself to another, another office. And... Uh, my sponsor finally got to me about that time. See, what happened to me is I, I kind of sailed, you know, I got spiritual is what happened. You know, I kind of sailed off into the blue. And, uh, you know, some of us get that way. I've seen it happen to a lot of people in AA. Different lengths of sobriety. Sometimes three, four months, or a year, or three years, or whatever, you know. Sometimes some of us get so spiritual that we just kind of sail off into the blue. And we just, we're just one cut above the rest of you people. We don't have to do the everyday things, you know, the everyday mundane things that you people are, are supposed to do. In fact, my sponsor told me that some of us just get so heavenly, we just become of no earthly good to anybody. <laughs> he also stated that in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, that it's says in there that uh, it's okay to have your head in the clouds, but we should keep our feet firmly planted on the ground. That's where our fellows are, and that's where the work is to be done. And that's where I, what I've been trying to do ever since. But before all that happened, before all that happened, I got a call from my ex-wife one time, and she said, come and get your drunken son, just like you are. And it seemed that he had turned 16 years old and he was getting in trouble in high school. Nothing major, just a lot of nickel and dime stuff. But she was having trouble coping with him. And, and he'd went to a party one time and, and he got drunk and he came home and threw up on the carpet or whatever. And that was the last straw as far as she was concerned. So she called me and said, come and get him, just like you are. You know, it never occurred to me to say... To her, no, wait a minute. You want him in the divorce settlement. You keep him. I <laughs> but, you know, back then I couldn't defend myself. I just could not, I, I just, anything anybody told me I did it because I just was unworthy, you know. And, uh, he didn't want to come and live with me. I didn't want him to come with me, live with me. But she said, so we had to do it. And, uh, but that was the start of a beautiful relationship that we've got going right to this day. And, uh, it wasn't a month later that, uh, you know, he used to come down and visit me once in a while before all that happened. And he hated to come down there because, you know, I'd get drunk and I'd just slobber all over him. And I'd tell him how much I loved him. You know, all the trouble your mother and I have had through the years has nothing to do with you. We love you. And that's one of the best, one of the good things that we did in our marriage is to have you. And he'd sit there and just cringe. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, you were no accident. You were a love child. We planned you. Oh, God, he couldn't stand it, you know. And I'd corner him. You know, when you get started talking like that, sometimes it's hard to stop. I could, 
And I would, I just would pour it on him, you know, and he just, God, he hated it, you know. And he'd finally escape somehow. And then the next morning I'd wake up and I'd just be ashamed of myself. Not ashamed that I had been drunk the night before, but ashamed that I had told my son I loved him. You see, I'm from the old school where you don't show any emotion to anybody, good or bad. I used to go to these jazz joints, you know, where world-famous musicians would sit there with a trumpet and just blow, man, you know, just really great music. And I practice. You just hold a cigarette in one hand, a drink in the other, and you never move a muscle. And uh, all the squares are snapping their fingers and tapping their toes, and I'd look down on them, you know. It's not, it's just not hip at all, you know. And uh, I practiced that all my life, looking cool, before even before they even started calling it being cool. I was cool, and uh, and so I'd be ashamed of myself that I let my guard down, and that I had told my son I loved him. I couldn't look him in the eye, and I'd get him in the car, and I'd take him home and drop him off, and I just would feel terrible. And uh, but uh, he asked his mother one time, he says. You've divorced him. Is there any kind of legal action I can take? Uh, I don't want to go back and see him. <laughs> and, uh, so he had to come and live, live with me as a punishment to him. And uh, But it wasn't a month later that she moved in with us. And uh, she came down to visit one, one Sunday to check him out. And you know how that is. We got to talk and then... Uh -oh. I thought there was only one person out there. I didn't know. Uh, so, where was I? I'm going to have to start all over again now. <laughs> yeah, she came down and visited us, and, and uh, we got to talking. You know how that is. Uh, one thing led to another. We both admitted we were miserable people, but we just seemed to be more miserable apart than we were together. And why don't we try this thing one more time? And uh, we started promising things to each other. And she'd promise me something, and then I'd promise her something. And then she'd promise me, and I'd promise her. And we just promised stuff all afternoon, you know. It was just, it was just wonderful. We... I'm sure I, I, I knew I couldn't fulfill all the promises, but it was really great. We had a wonderful time that Sunday afternoon. And one of the things that she said was that one of the things she promised me was that she wasn't going to fight me on my drinking anymore. In fact, she joined me. And I should have been suspicious, you know, but I wasn't. See, all the years we were married, she never drank. When she talked in AA, she used to say that she was born an alcoholic. She knew she was an alcoholic before she even took a drink. Her father was an alcoholic, and her personality is quite a bit like her father's. When he drank, he was mean, and uh, and she was afraid to drink. But during that two or three year period that we were apart, uh, she had started drinking, and it was just like you know instant instant food, you know, when you add water to it. it you know, that's what she was. She was. Uh, uh, you know, all you needed to do was add alcohol to her, and she was a full-blown alcoholic from drink one. And uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I I don't feel that that's the way I was. I you know, I wasn't born an alcoholic. I, my my father and mother there isn't any alcoholics in my family except my brother. He's one, but uh, he was one. <laughs> and uh, but uh, uh, you know, I'm from a, I just drank myself into alcoholism. I had a lot of fun with booze for a lot of years. It worked fine. And then I became allergic to it. Same thing happened to me with penicillin. I took penicillin several times. And it worked fine. It did the job it was supposed to do. The last time I took a shot of penicillin, I wound up in the hospital for eight days. And I damn near died. And the doctor told me, don't ever take penicillin again. You better get a bracelet or something to wear, an ID bracelet. If you ever take penicillin again, you might die. No kidding. Jeez. You know, I've never had a shot of penicillin since that day. You know, I haven't had to join any kind of an organization. I haven't had to get a sponsor. 
I haven't had to call anybody at three o'clock in the morning and say, geez, I got this uncontrollable desire to take a shot of penicillin. <laughs> yeah, I just cold turkeyed it, and here I am with 35 years without a shot of penicillin. So I'm allergic to this stuff, but it's, it's a little different than the allergy of alcohol, it turns out. But uh, I really feel that that's what I did. I drank myself into alcoholism. I became allergic to it. And she was an alcoholic from drink one. It really don't make any difference. We were both alcoholics. And uh, after that, a typical day was that I'd wake up late and go to work late and get home early after drinking at the, drinking my lunch. And I'd get home and start playing my records and start starting my fantasy up. And, and uh, here comes my son home from school. It'd be like 2.30 in the afternoon. And, uh, and I'd say, you know, I don't know who you think you're kidding. It's only 2.30. School doesn't even get out until 3, and you're home at 2.30. You cut class, or maybe you've ditched all day, as far as I know. And I'd stand there in my pajamas with a bottle of vodka in my hand, and I would ask him, how the hell do you ever expect to amount to anything? Eh? You know, if you don't apply yourself in this world, my son, you haven't got a chance. And he'd look at me funny you know, I'm really worried about you. you know, he looked at me funny, and I always had three or four guys with him, and they looked at me funny, too. And that hair clear down below their shoulders, you know, they were surfers. And uh, at least that's what they said. We used to talk a lot about haircuts back in those days, too. And, uh, and then I'd fantasize a little more, waiting for my wife, you know. She was a very friendly type person. She was outgoing and friendly when she didn't drink. People liked her, and she liked people, and she had a good ear. And she could listen to people real well, and, and uh, people liked to talk to her and everything. And, and but you give her one drink, and all that changed. All the pent up emotions and, uh, and hostilities of a lifetime would come out in that first drink. And she just got meaner than hell. And she just was not a fun person to be around when she drank. Now, myself, I'm kind of a grouchy guy. I'm kind of serious. I just soon sit in the corner and read a book or something and, and uh, just go do whatever you want to do. Just don't bother. Don't ask me for any money. Don't ask me for any advice. Just go do it. And uh, I'm very liberal. Just don't bug me. And uh, you're free. But you give me one drink, and all that changes. And I don't care who you are. You're the most interesting person I have ever met in my entire life. And I want to hear your whole life story. I want to hear it from day one. And I'm prepared to sit up all night with you and hear your plans for the future. As long as we've got booze, I'm right there with you all the way. And uh, so, and especially my family, I just love them. I just love my family when I'm drinking. My God, how what a lucky guy I am. I got a wonderful wife and these great children and what a pleasure it is to work for them and you know. And I could hardly wait for her to come home. And uh she'd get home and, and uh she's always glad to see me, you know. And then we'd have our first drink of the day together. My twentieth and her first and, and uh and we'd click those glasses and you know start drinking that first drink and I start getting a little cozy and she start getting standoffish and by the time she finished her first drink she was in a total blackout and, and all hell was breaking and I can never understand it and she never remembered a thing you don't remember breaking all my records last night <laughs> you don't remember taking a hammer to my little Sony TV and killing it with one shot saying you know just my own personal little Sony TV bang and it was gone you know and you know I used to watch her do all this stuff I just stand there I couldn't believe it what she was doing you know and uh, you know and I'd say don't do that <laughs> I just I cannot believe myself you know I, you know better get not get a hold of my TV now I'll tell you that but uh and we could never drink together. It was just complete chaos. And uh, finally, I, you know, I said, you know, this isn't working out as good as it used to be. And it wasn't very good then. And, and uh, you know, 
you divorced me, remember? We're not even married. I don't know what you're doing here in the first place. <laughs> And uh, I allowed you to kick me out of all those other places, but I moved here first. Therefore, you go this time. And uh, I'm going to go to my brother's house tonight and stay overnight with him. And while I'm gone, I expect you to pack up and move. It's more time than you ever gave me. And so uh, I went to my good brother's house. Not the one in Temple City. The one in Temple City I go to on Christmas Eve and he pulls a bottle down from the shelf and untapped, pours you a drink. Merry Christmas. And you have a drink. And he puts the top back on, puts it back up on the shelf. And next Christmas you come and he takes the same bottle. <laughs> and, uh, no, I went to my good brother. You know. I, went, I went to the brother that you can knock on his door at midnight or two o'clock, whenever, you know. As long as you got a brown paper bag in your hand, you know. <laughs> He'll pull you right in. And, and that's the brother I went to. And we sat up and philosophized all night. Seemed like his choice and wise were not, wasn't all that good either. She just didn't seem to understand why he drank. And, and he just married a couple of people that just didn't seem to understand. And, uh, and so, uh, but while I was gone, my wife decided to commit suicide. Again. She, that was another one of her character defects. She was all, Everything was the last straw. Something happened, that's it. She's going to check out, you know. And uh it didn't matter what it was. And uh that night she decided to do it. But before she did, well, she went into the closet where my clothes were hanging. And in a blackout, she just took a knife and just slashed every stitch of clothes that I own, everything. Cut my shirts and my ties in half. And, and even took a knife and stabbed my damn shoes. <laughs> Just made a complete shambles out of everything. And then in her blackout, she put all the rags that she had made and put them around, around the doors and the windows and tried to make the place airtight. And uh, she turned the gas on, the kitchen up, went to bed. The next morning, she woke up. <laughs> Nothing happened again, you know. And... Uh, you know, she, I tell you, she was suicidal right into AA. She was, you know, she was sober like eight, eight, ten months or something, and something bad happened, and she was gonna do it. That was it. <laughs> she, that was the last straw. Adios, you know. And then she remembered she was the cookie lady at the meeting, so she had to postpone it. <laughs> you know, every once in a while, you know, you might wonder why they give some of us people jobs, you know. <laughs> And, uh, but, uh, she was a cookie lady, so she couldn't do it. And finally her sponsor got to her and said, you know, you better knock that crap off. You know, one of these days you're gonna hurt yourself real bad. And so she did. And, uh, but, uh, she woke up that morning and she just couldn't believe what she had done. And then I came home and I had trouble believing it myself. <laughs> and then, then, <laughs> And then my son came home, and he checked this thing out. He thought we were moving again. Now, we used to move quite a bit. I don't know if anybody identifies with that, but we used to move quite a bit. And uh, In fact, my son sometimes says that he went to 14 different schools in 12 years, and he tends to exaggerate, so I think it was only like 13. And uh, But there we were. We hit bottom. I'm from a good family. She was from a good family. We, we got married. We had some great plans. We were going to live a good life. We were going to live the all-American dream, and uh, we were really going. We really planned to live the good life. But by then, there wasn't any more good left. It was all gone. What we had managed to do is drink all the goodness out of our lives, and from then on, it was no good. From then on, it was bad all the time. And uh, we hit bottom. The only trouble is, I didn't know it, so I just drank right through that bottom. <laughs> and then I hit another bottom, and I just drank through that. And uh, we had gone to group therapy again. That's another thing. We went to therapy for years off and on. And uh, 
And uh, this therapist asked me one time, you really drink as much as she says? I said, hell yes, I do. I drink a lot. Who wouldn't marry to a woman like that? Yeah. Got two really rotten kids and this pressure job. My God, the pressure on that job alone will make you drink. And, and uh, but I don't know what the big deal is about it. She's always talking about my drinking. And, and uh, I, you know, I said they've never missed a meal ever. They've always had clothes. They've all, you know, daughter had braces on her teeth. I just don't understand what the big deal is about my drinking. Never, I've always had a job. I've never lost a job because of my drinking. I, I just don't know what the hell they're talking about. Have you ever, ever thought of quitting? I says, as a matter of fact, I have. I thought, I think about it every night. I'm not going to quit tonight. Starting tomorrow morning, I am, but not tonight. And uh, he said, have you ever thought of going to AA? And I said, thanks, but no thanks. I've already been to AA. And I had gone to a meeting one time. It was one of these kind of meetings where the, the leader, they passed out chips for various lengths of sobriety. And uh, and this leader that night asked, is there anyone here that has just completed their first 30 days of sobriety and so come up and get chips? And here comes this guy up. My name's Joe and I'm an alcoholic and, and I'm really proud to get this chip. You know, I, I know this is a spiritual program that I found God when I walked through the doors of AA and it's the lights and the eyes of the people that just turn me on and keep me coming back to these meetings. And I just love every single person here. And just before I came to the meeting tonight, my employer got a call from my employer and he's made me general manager down at the plant. And, and it's just what a glorious way of life this is. And for all you newcomers, just keep coming back. We love you. And I'm, oh, God. Yeah. Anybody else has finished their first 30 days? Here comes this lady. My name's Mary, and I'm an alcoholic, and I know this is a spiritual program, and I found God when I walked through the doors of AA, and it's the lights in the eyes of the people that just turn me on and keep me coming back these meetings. I just love every single person here. Now, hate is no longer a word in my vocabulary. I, I just love everybody, not just the people in AA, but everybody in the whole world. And just a just uh, 30 days ago, my children, my children were failing in school, and now we, we are getting letters from all the major universities <laughs> offering scholarships. And what a wonderful, glorious way of life this is! You know, for all you newcomers, keep coming back. We love you. Oh, I'll tell you, I never came back. That was <laughs> that's it. You know. And so this therapy asked, therapist asked me, you want to go to AA? I said, forget it. I've already been to AA. It's some kind of a spiritual thing. I don't know. Some kind of a religious cult of some kind. It's okay for them, though. I'm not knocking. It's just okay for them, but not for me. Not for me. And, uh, but I said, you know, I read about some stuff. I am going to quit this to prove to them once and for all you know, and uh, that alcohol is not my problem. And I was right. <laughs> it was a symptom of my problem. And, uh, but uh, that alcohol is not my problem. But I've heard about some stuff called, I read an article about some stuff called anapes. And I think I'll get some of that. Because according to the article, if you, if you drink on top of anapes, you get sick. And in fact, according to the article, people, some people who drank on top of anapes have died. And uh, so I think I'll get some of that. And if I feel the urge to take a drink, instead I'll take some of that ambulance, and then, you know, I won't drink. And uh, he, he shrugged his shoulder, you know, and he says, well, that's one way, I guess. And so he put me in touch with a doctor, and uh, this doctor's uh, receptionist said, don't drink for at least 48 hours prior to coming to the appointment. Ah, you just scared me to death. Yeah. You know, I wanted to quit, but I wasn't quite prepared to quit that long at that time. You know? And he just went on and on about this stuff, you know. And he said, I could give you an abuse, but he said, you don't need it. If you haven't drank for 48 hours, and he started explaining alcoholism to me, you know, about how people with the disease of alcoholism have trouble coping with their problems. They refuse to cope. Instead, they drink tonight. And they wake up tomorrow morning and they still got all their problems. Now they got a hangover on top of it. 
and he was telling me my story, but I didn't recognize it. And he just went on and on and on about it. And, uh, and I said, well, if you're not going to give me any interviews, then I guess I better go. And he said, I can see I'm not making much of an impression on you, but I'm going to tell you something I wouldn't normally tell my patients, but due to the nature of your appointment here today, I'm going to tell you. My wife's an alcoholic, and we've tried everything. We've tried rest homes and sanitariums, and we've tried everything, and abuse, and, and uh, everything. Known the medical science, but nothing's worked for us. But she's sober now. She goes to AA, and she's sober for seven months. And that's what I recommend that you do. And promise me that when you leave here this afternoon, that you'll go to the Manhattan Beach Clubhouse and buy the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. There'll be no charge for this call. And that's the only thing that guy said that day that impressed me at all. And then I, I went up and bought the book. And I uh, threw it on my dresser and had another drink. Crazy doctor, you know. And, uh, and then this fiasco happened. And uh, so she went back to the doctor. She had been with me and heard the doctor talking. She asked him if he thought she was an alcoholic. And uh, he said he didn't know, but he, he gave her the 20 questions. And she passed an appropriate number correctly. And, and so he said he couldn't tell her if she was an alcoholic or not. But why didn't she go to some meetings with his wife? And, and she'd be happy to take her. And so she came home that night and said, I'm going to go to AA with the doctor's wife. And I said, oh, geez, be careful, whatever you do. You know. Just remember what I told you about that, you know. And uh, and just remember what the name of that organization is. It's Alcoholics Anonymous. And that means no name. Don't give them my name, whatever you do. I don't want anybody knocking on my door trying to convert me. And so off she went to the meeting with the doctor's wife. And the very first thing that they told her in AA, the very first thing was that it wasn't her fault that I drank. You know, they could have started her off with something different than that. You know, I just about had her convinced that it was all her fault. But they told her, no, if you're carrying that guilt around, you're carrying the wrong guilt. You know, you can't make anybody drink. You know, you're just kidding yourself if you think you can make somebody drink. And if you're carrying guilt around for that, forget it. And you can't make him quit either. We just don't have that kind of power over anybody. We can make anybody quit drinking. So don't pour his booze down the sink. He'll just go buy another bottle. And uh, you think you've got a problem with alcohol? You think you've got alcoholism? Maybe you better come back to these meetings and work on your problem and just let that SOB drink himself to death. If that's what he wants to do, it's his life. He kind of liked the ring of that. And so she went to meetings, and every once in a while to be a good guy, I'd go to one with her. And I hated the meetings. It just seemed like those same two people were at every meeting I went to. You know. Joe is, by now, he's just doing great, you know, and it's just wonderful, everything's wonderful, and he's been made a full partner down at the plant, and he's taking delivery on his Mercedes in the morning, and all kinds of good stuff, and by now, Mary is so pure, she almost has a halo now, you know, and uh, I couldn't stand it. And then we all stood up and held hands and said the Lord's Prayer. How hokey can you get? <laughs> You think you can go home then? No. There's another meeting that starts immediately after the meeting ends. And I can see these ladies, ladies coming towards me. Coming towards me. And the closer they got, the longer their fingernails. Fangs start flying. They were like little vampires, you know, looking for new blood. And they would ask me, Hank, I... Are you Lou's husband? And I said, yeah, I'm Lou's husband. Well, are you an alcoholic too? And, no, I'm not an alcoholic too. I'm a visitor here. She's one. Work on her, but leave me alone. And uh, I finally said, this is it. I've gone to my last meeting. I can't stand it. I just cannot stand these meetings. That's all. And uh, I said, but you know, I know I'm an alcoholic. Damn it. And I wasn't even listening, uh, you know, at all. I still identified. 
And so I said, I know I'm an alcoholic, but I'm not going to go to these meetings. I'm going to quit drinking, though. I've made up my mind. So I did. I quit drinking. It's like that. A little bit before Thanksgiving. And I stayed sober. I didn't drink through the drinkingest part of the year. Christmas holidays. I didn't drink. I stayed sober for them. I don't, I don't really think they appreciate it at all. I'm sure I wasn't the most pleasant person to be around, but I was sober for them. And, uh, and Christmas came and, and went. And the Saturday night after Christmas, she went to a meeting. I stayed home. And I took a little mini inventory of myself. You know, I said, you know, if you haven't drank through the drinking as part of the year, that proves one thing. You're not really an alcoholic after all. So I went to the liquor store and, and I bought a half pint of vodka. And uh, no sooner I got it back to the place, I drank it. What the hell did I buy a half pint for? I went and got a fifth. I went and got another fifth. And I drank all Saturday and all day Sunday. And I closed the bar up in California at 2, 2 a.m. And, and I woke up the next morning at 10 o'clock. I'm already an hour late to work. <laughs> But I had to go there because you, if you don't show up, especially after a holiday, on your, you know, it, it proves you're an alcoholic. And uh, and so I got there. And I went over to the bar a little early that day because I was sick. And I hadn't drank for a little over 30 days. And, uh, I, uh, and I poured all that alcohol into my system. Gee, I was sick. So I went over there and I ordered a glass of medicine. Bloody Mary. That's, that's all that is. It's medicine. It's not really a social drink of any kind. It's just, just medicine to get well on. That's all. And the guy made this, got this big tall glass. And he put shaved ice in it and shot of vodka and tomato juice and Worcestershire sauce and, and Tabasco. And he squeezed the lime and he put a little salt. I thought he'd never get the damn thing made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, took that drink. I drank it straight down. I spilled half of it all over my tie. Nuts. I went to the restroom. And on the way to the restroom, I said, make me another one. And, uh, and I went in and cleaned the tomato juice off my tie and came out and he said, did you want another Bloody Mary or did you want a martini? And I said, oh, just skip it. And I went over to the coffee shop section of this bar and I had a sandwich and a glass of milk. And I haven't had a drink since. And that was a little over 16 years ago. I didn't even know that was my last drink. I had no idea it was my last drink. I found myself a couple of weeks later, you know, I realized I hadn't had a drink in a couple of weeks. I found myself in AA meetings of all places. And uh, about three weeks went by, and, uh, and I realized, you know, that I had, that I had taken my last drink. And then anger set in. <laughs> I had just completed 30 years of drinking. I got this rotten wife and two of the worst children you could possibly imagine. And pressure job, pressure alone on that job to make anybody drink. I owe money to everybody. And it's all past due. And, and now I can't even drink. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Nothing. That's what I'm going to do. There's nothing to do if you don't drink. At least for me, everything I ever learned to do except work, I drank. Every social situation I was ever involved in, I drank. I drank before, during, or after. Generally all three. And, uh, and so what can I do with the rest of my life? Nothing. And it's all over. I might as well dig a hole and cover me up. My life's over. It's going to be one long gray tunnel from here on out. And, uh, you can never go to a decent restaurant ever again. What's the first thing they want to know when you go to a nice restaurant? Would you like a cocktail before dinner? And you can't say to them, well, yeah, I'd like one, but you see, I've got this disease. <laughs> it's of a two-fold nature. It's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. <laughs> If I even take one drink, I can't predict my behavior. Wasn't for that, I sure have one. I'll tell you that. I used to think you had to explain all that stuff to people. 
Because I used to spend a good portion of my day back then explaining things to people that didn't want to hear the explanation. And that's one of the things I'm, I'm trying to stop right now. Stop explaining stuff to people. And sometimes I'll catch myself right in mid-explanation, you know, and, uh, and I'll stop. And then the guy will never notice the difference. You know, it turns out that no one's listening to any of that stuff. They don't want to hear explanations. They don't want to hear excuses for what you haven't done. You know, they want to know what you've done lately. Somehow the word gets out on that. You don't have to tell anybody. And, uh, but uh, I'm just trying to quit altogether. But back then, hell, if I was standing on a street corner and somebody walked up, I'd start explaining what I was doing there. I, I, I just was so unworthy, I'd explain a little bit of space I was taking up in this world. Yeah. And uh, it, it, uh, it just wasn't any good. And, you know, every, but everything that I knew for sure had turned out to be all wrong. I I went to a nice restaurant this week. Occasionally I'll go to a nice restaurant. And the first thing they want to know, like a cocktail before dinner? No thanks. It never phases them. They just look at you. Okay. Well, and, you know, that's what burns me up. That, that's another one of the things that, you know, that's a heart-wakening thing. You know, they don't care out there whether you drink or not. That was one of the reservations I had about getting sober in AA. What are they going to say when they find out I don't drink? Well, they don't give a damn if you drink. <laughs> we'll give a big deal around here if you don't drink. We'll give you a cake with a candle on it if you... you know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's another hokey thing, you know. Sure, the first time I saw that, I thought, oh, my jeez, you know until it was my turn to blow out the candle. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, they, they just don't care. They, she just shrugged her shoulders and went over to the next table and asked them. And they did. They drank. They always drink. I always check and they're always drinking. I'm, I'm the only guy in the whole place not drinking. That's okay, though. I'm, you know, I drank my share. And, uh, I drank 60 years worth and 30, you know, I figured. And, uh, but you know, the sick part of this whole thing is, is I look over there and every once in a while, there'll be a well-dressed couple and they'll have my team. And you click them and have a toast. And you can see a little droplet melting down the side of the glass, down the stem. If you look close, you can see the olive. If you look extra close, you can see the pimento in the olive. <laughs> and sometimes it really looks good. After 16 years of sobriety, and I'm standing here before you tonight, I'm not a cured alcoholic, I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination. I know a lot of guys that are sober a lot longer than me that they've seen something attractive, you know, and they drank again. And so, you know, I, it scares me every once in a while. And, and so, I've got to, geez, I've got to call my sponsor all the time. I've got to read the big book, go to as many meetings as I can, and Come to Oklahoma if they ask me. I don't care. <laughs> I want to maintain my sobriety. And that's what I'm here for. It's fun. And it really is fun. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. But the real reason I'm here tonight is to maintain my sobriety. And uh, I uh, I hope I never have to drink again. But unless you think it's all fun and games, you know, I suggest, or at least for me, I'm glad that I, when I was like three or four months, I got a sponsor. Because I needed one bad, you know, desperately. And uh, I needed to be uh, helped. And, you know, you get a good sponsor, and they encourage you to work the steps. And a good sponsor will, will help you maintain your sobriety. And, uh, and he'll listen to you when you ask stupid questions that you shouldn't. You know, and give, you know, things that you should have known years ago, you know, that you were standing behind the door, you went to the restroom when they were giving out that information or something. You know. And, uh, I really needed a sponsor, and I'm, thank God I had it. The first five years of my, of my sobriety, I was with my sponsor almost every day, or I'd call him once or twice a day, and, and he knew everything about what was going on with me and my wife. And, uh, 
and I really am grateful because, you know, it gave me a foundation to live by. And you never know when the chips are going to come down, and you better have that foundation. Because about five and a half years ago, my wife got sick, and it turned out it was lung cancer. She had the operation, and she thought she, you know, we thought for a while that she had beat it. And, uh, and then, uh, about a little over a year and a half ago, she had a little minor stroke and it affected vocal cords and she couldn't speak plainly. She couldn't converse. Very, very difficult for her to converse. And then the damn cancer came back and it just spread all over her body. And, and then, uh, she recently passed away. And, uh, she didn't even know me when she passed away. And, uh, but you know, I'll tell you something. I, as sad as that sounds, I'm not telling that to get sympathy. I'm telling you that that because, you know, uh, our house was in order. And you hear this read all the time in the big book. You know, you obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got if your own house is not in order. Well, our house was in order. And everything was said that was supposed to be said. And I was available, and I was dependable. You know, I'm the worst procrastinator in the world, and yet I was—I did what I was supposed to do, and I was there. And uh, and so, you know, I don't have any if onlys tonight. And I can turn, you know, I can close the door on that. And we had a rocky marriage. Well, we had some great years. We had some bad years and some great years. You know. And uh, and everything was said. And so I'm standing here tonight, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, oh, it's a new game now. But, you know, I'm 16 years sober and I'm 16 years emotionally immature, you know. I, uh, it's, it's strange being single again. And I remember now I used to drink. I, you know, I have this feeling of inadequacy. I feel like I'm going to break out and ask me any time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, call somebody else, she won't go, you know. Yeah, I'm not having experienced that since for a long time. And uh but I'm not gonna drink this time. I'm gonna go through all that. And uh I made a list of all the things that I always wanted to do but I couldn't because she, you know, it was all her fault and I couldn't. And uh so uh, I bought myself a little boat. And I got it parked down at Marina Del Rey and I slipped down there. And now if someone will just help me get it started, I, I'll, I'll become a sea captain, you know. And uh, it's a new, exciting life. And everything is really terrific. I just love everything. You know, I'm just like that lady. You know, I just love everything. And, uh, it's wonderful. And I'll bring you up to date. You know, she was sober for 16 years. I was sober longer than she was. How could that possibly be? She went to A before me. Well, she didn't hear the part about the pills. You know, where I come from, you're not sober. If you're still taking pills or smoking a funny cigarette. And, uh, then she, uh, she didn't, she heard about the pills, but she thought they were talking about the kind of pills that you smuggle in from Mexico in your hubcap or something. Not prescription pills. And, uh, seemed like she had three or four doctors that she was getting them from, you know. But her sponsor got to her and told her to flush those damn things down the toilet. And so she changed her sobriety date. And it turns out that I have more sobriety than her. <laughs> and that son of mine that used to look at me so funny back in those days, and part of the reason he was looking at me so funny is that he was stoned out of his gourd. <laughs> seemed, like, seemed like he had a problem with alcohol, too, and drugs, and, and uh, LSD. And just recently, he told me it was a glue sniffer, too. I used to wonder why, when I got in my car on Saturday morning, my steering wheel was all sticky. (laughs) Now, he recently confessed, I hate to, I hate to announce that to you people, but he sniffed glue, too. And, uh, but I'll be damned if he didn't turn himself into AA when he was 21 years old. And just the other day, on May the 27th, he took a 13-year case. And, uh, and, uh, my grand, 19 year old grandson, he got a year on February the 4th, he took his first year case. And, uh, my, and his mother, my daughter, and, uh, 
and uh, my daughter-in-law. They both send you greetings from Al-Anon. <laughs> and we're an AA family. And we weren't any kind of a family 16 years ago. And we're still not the best family on the block. I wouldn't want to kid anybody about that. But we've all got programs to work if we choose to work. And uh, have a loving relationship with my children today. That I didn't, it wasn't always like that, believe me. And I've got a new grandson that hasn't had a drink yet. But he's got only nine months. I figure he'll get into AA even before my other grandson, maybe, the way things are going, you know. And uh, it's a great life. Things are really good. Things are terrific. And, you know, I've met a lot of wonderful people in AA. Jesus, I've met some exciting people. Rich ones and poor ones and showbiz people and everything, you know. And uh, just uh, just a lot of great people. But, you know, I wouldn't trade places with anybody tonight. I'll take who I am. And uh, uh, 16 years ago, I'd have traded with anybody. I don't care what you had. I'd take yours instead of mine. And, and about the only thing I can say that I know for sure is what I heard in the first meeting I ever went to. And I found out that this is really a spiritual program. And that I found God when you walk, when I walked through the doors of AA. And you know it's the lights in the eyes of the people that keep me coming back. Thank you very much.